Caesars Sportsbook is the only sportsbook app with Caesars rewards. That means win or lose, every bet brings you closer to the types of perks only Caesars can offer. Like hotel stays at over 50 iconic destinations, bonus bets, daily profit boosts, tickets to the game, dining, and so much more. Whether you're a new or existing customer, Caesars Sportsbook is always rewarding. Must be 21. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Caesars Sportsbook. Don't just spectate, participate. Before I begin today's show, I would just like to congratulate the Writers Guild of America for securing an excellent new contract. Now that the writer's strike is over, I'd like to welcome my imaginary team of imaginary writers back to my imaginary writer's room. To be honest, without my writers, I felt as flat and uninspired as Stephen Colbert with his writers. So I'd also like to congratulate Stephen on having his 19 real writers back so they can come up with such wild and original ideas as comparing Donald Trump to Hitler and herpes. Because if that's not comedy, then comedy is comedy, which is just confusing. But it's great to have my imaginary writers back. So let me introduce them. There's Lola Vavoom, the shapely and ambitious creative who writes all my female sword fighting scenes. Between such bouts of steely realism, she enjoys wiggling her way to the snack table in her spandex leggings to fetch me a cup of coffee so she can linger behind me while I drink it, giving me a gentle shoulder massage and explaining once again... (laughs) What my my wife doesn't know won't hurt her, which isn't strictly true since my wife doesn't know how to use the chairlift (laughs) and keeps falling downstairs. But hey, this is my imagination, so I get whatever imaginary writers I want. There's also Vivek Swami Mami from India who can't speak English, but at least he has darkish skin so we can pretend to have filled our hiring quota for black writers without actually hiring any black writers. Thus, we strike a blow against the dreadful systemic American racism revealed by the fact that George Floyd died of a fentanyl overdose while resisting arrest, which was a terrible act of racist police brutality, because this is all imaginary. And finally, there's Joe Stern, the neurotic little Jewish guy who completely rewrites all our episodes so no one finds out our women and minority hires have no talent, after which Joe Stern goes home to smoke dope and watch porn all night while posting on X about how social conservatives are evil. Joe Stern is also imaginary, but at least he could be real. Thanks to the WGA, these dedicated imaginary writers have a great new contract. For instance, the studios have agreed not to create scripts with AI, as long as the writers agree to produce repetitive and formulaic stories, bizarrely out of keeping with all human experience, values, and aspirations, so at least it seems like they were created by AI. There'll also be a guaranteed number of writers in each writer's room to ensure that there'll be some really lively group's conversations while Joe Stern is writing the script. And every writer who creates a streaming series with a large audience will receive a substantial bonus with which he can hire a lawyer to get Stephen Avery out of prison so he can rape and kill again. So now at last, Hollywood writers can get back to the important work of filling our entertainment with that radical spirit of resistance that's officially approved by every major corporation, government body, intelligence agency, and intellectually stagnant university in the country. Once again, you'll be able to set your children down in front of a television screen and trust that when you come back from smoking (laughs) reefer in your bedroom, they'll be suicidally confused about their sexuality. Once again, you'll be able to go to the movies and see black actors so talented they can almost make you believe they're oppressed. And once again, you'll be able to watch tough, muscular, wasp-faced heroes conquer the monsters of distant galaxies while weirdly voicing the opinions of Joe Stern, who'll be busy at home smoking dope, watching porn, and posting on X. Yes, all across Los Angeles, real writers are taking off their pajamas and putting on their clean pajamas in order to get back to work creating an imaginary world in which the values and ideas that have destroyed America save America. While here in Nashville, imaginary writers will be creating a real world in which the values and ideas that made America great make America great again. Wait, make America great again. That's good. Guys, write that down. Trigger warning. I'm Andrew Clavin, and this is The Andrew Clavin Show. All right, we're back laughing our way through the fall of the Republic and also through the opening, which I don't know, I read that a million times without laughing, but that one got me. Uh, the House of Love and Death. Have you, you know, I got the numbers, the pre-order numbers for the House of Love and Death. They're good, but they could be a lot better. I 
please ask you, please, to go and pre-order The House of Love and Death. You will love it. In this one, Cameron Winter goes looking for a killer who wiped out a family, and he finds that corrupt authority from the White House to your house uh, has a devastating effect on the world. I am the only novelist at my level who is writing about these things, actually, and you will love the book. It's the sequel to When Christmas Comes and Strange Habit of Mind, which you both of which you made USA Today bestsellers. Please help me push this to the top so that I don't have to stop doing this because I love it. Uh, also, you want to uh, catch the last interview we did, which was Vody Bachman on marriage. Uh, and uh, this week, the interview will be with uh, a crime victim and with a, a woman who is handling crime in New York, which, of course, is skyrocketing with the George Soros prosecutor there. And uh, while you're watching these interviews, either on Daily Wire or YouTube, a good time to subscribe to my personal YouTube channel, the Andrew Clavin YouTube channel. You'll get exclusive content delivered in the dead of night to your house, and no one knows you're looking at it. Just make sure we'll wrap it in porn so everybody knows it's nothing disgusting like the show. And if you leave a comment, and the comment is as disgusting as porn, uh, we will read it on the show because this show is the porn of ideas. Today's comment. <laughs> It's from real. How am I going to get through the show? This comment is from real Mike Evie, I guess. Mike Vey, maybe Mike Vey. Uh, it says, Dark Lord of Light, Mr. Clavin, thank you so much for the movies you mentioned in this episode. I watched both of them. I was pleasantly surprised at how good they were of the two High Noon and On the Waterfront. I must say that the story and cinematography of High Noon was my favorite. Thanks for your work. Love your show. A fan from New Zealand. This stuff is just like sitting there. You're watching these crap movies that are coming out. And there are so many, so many great movies that were made in America. But let us go on to the next episode, today's episode, which is Pearl Davis has a point about marriage. Now, I'm going to start this because it's kind of a personal episode, a personal subject. I'm going to start with a personal story. You know, we do this all-access show. Every other week, it's most usually every other Wednesday. Sometimes we have to shift it around because of the scheduling. But, you know, all Access members come on and they ask questions. And I really like doing the show because it's one of the few times I get to talk to you. And this sounds strange, but it's absolutely true. I'd rather hear what you're thinking than what I'm thinking because I already know what I'm thinking. So I always like hearing what people are talking about and questioning about on All Access. So somebody asked me this question about surprising career moments. And there's one of uh, the most surprising moment in my career, which was, you know, I knew very early, I knew in my young teens that I wanted to be a writer. And like all writers, I dreamed of, you know, fame and fortune and all this. And then I went through a period, if you've read my memoir, The Great Good Thing, you'll know I went through a period of genuine life-threatening darkness in my life. I kind of, I lost maybe 10 years to mental illness. But after this miracle happened when I was made sane in, in therapy. It was just an amazing thing. I don't know anyone else it's ever happened to. Very quickly, my career took off and I got the things that I thought were available to me through my talent. And I remember I made, you know, lots and lots of money and I was selling books. And I remember standing in Times Square and there was a poster of one of my books, uh, True Crime, which had been made into a Clint Eastwood movie. And, and, and listen, this is not a knock on true crime. I would put true crime up with any American thriller. Seriously, I would put it in the ranks of any of the lists of great American thrillers. I would put this book, True Crime, and I'm happy to brag about it. But I was standing there looking at my name in lights on time, in Times Square, and I thought, I, I don't care about this. I, I worked to get this. I wanted it so much. I went crazy trying to get it. And now I have it. And this is not what I want. And I basically had to break my career down and start to rebuild, rebuild it until I could become what I was meant to be and what I wanted to be, which is the person you see sitting in front of you right now, who is doing some of the best work of my life. And it took a long time to get back from that, uh, from that moment. One of the most powerful weapons a person can have is a healthy and realistic idea of what he wants in life. You can exceed the goals that you set for yourself, but it's difficult to get where you want to go if you don't know what direction it's in. You don't know where to travel. For most young people, of course, this is incredibly difficult because you haven't lived, you know, no matter how much you think you know, no matter how much you think you've seen, you haven't got the life experience to have context to know the kinds of things that you want and what's realistic in what you want and what direction you might want to go. It, it, some of these things only occur to you uh, later. So in a healthy society, in a healthy society, your elders create a world in which you make the right decisions in spite of yourself. They make a decision they make a world in which you are guided into the smart young person's decision. And then later, as you know more, you can move on yourself and build the next part of your life. 
But this is not a healthy society. This is a very sick society. This is a society where brain-dead materialists and sexual deviants and neurotics demand the right to teach children lies about who they are and their souls and their bodies so the deviants can normalize themselves while the children become miserable and sick. This is induced neurosis and psychosis by the very people who are responsible for helping you find your way. And I hate to say this, but I think the conservative response to some of that is not always very convincing or helpful as it should be. So today I want to take an honest look at some of the stupid and sick ideas that are being put forward and some of the not so honest conservative responses and give a response of my own. With everything going on in the world right now, you could really use a good night's sleep. And if you get one, let me know what it's like. But that's why you need to check out Helix Mattress. The Helix lineup offers 20 unique mattresses. There's the award-winning Lux Collection, their newly released Helix Elite Collection, which is designed for big and tall sleepers, and even a mattress made just for kids. I've had my Helix for years now. I love it, and I'm awake all night, so I get to feel how comfortable it is. Not only is the mattress the best I've slept on or stayed awake on, but the setup was fast and easy. Helix mattresses are delivered in a box straight to your door, for free. Helix has a sleep quiz that matches your body type and sleep preferences to the perfect mattress, because why would you buy a mattress made for someone else? Go to helixsleep.com slash Clavin and take their two-minute sleep quiz to find the perfect mattress for your body and sleep type. And with their flexible payment plans, a great night's sleep is never far away. Helix is offering 20% off all mattress orders and two free pillows from my listeners. Go to helixsleep.com slash Clavin. This is their best offer yet, and it won't last long. With Helix Sleep, better sleep start the minute you learn how to spell Clavin. It's K-L-A-V-A-N. Chapter one, unholy matrimony. So there's a big debate that the Daily Wire is involved in in a big way. This provocateur, Hannah Pearl Davis, She's sometimes called the female Andrew Tate because she's kind of down on women. She disses women a lot. And she's been pointing out that feminists in the courts have ruined marriage and guys shouldn't get married. And Ben and Walsh and even Jeremy have all weighed in opposing her. And she works the way provocateurs work. They all make these extreme statements. Andrew Tate does this too. Uh, Nick Fuentes does it. And when they're attacked, when people say that's a really horrible thing to say, they explain their extreme statements away and their followers pretend to believe the explanation while they really believe the extreme statements. So they say, women are stupid. And you say, well, that's a ridiculous thing to say. And then they say, well, what I meant by that is they don't always make the right decisions. And everybody says, see, you know, he doesn't really mean that. But what they really think is that women are stupid. So Pearl has been complaining. She complained on Twitter that only young guys like marriage. And she called out Ben and Walsh and I think Jeremy. And somebody said, well, what about Clavin? And so I answered, I've been blissfully married for 43 years. Uh, my, my wife, of course, has been trying to escape, but I won't let her because it's been bliss for me. But I'm very cognizant that this is a special blessing in my life. I have a wonderful wife, truly. She gave me a home. She mothered our children. She nurtured my career. She believed in me when I had nothing. And she's the absolute love of my life. And I'm not, that's not something I'm just saying. Truly, if I had the time that I have spent making love to that woman, if I had used it more productively, I would be an astrophysicist today, which I don't want to be. So it's actually fine. So, but not everyone gets to marry that kind of wife, you know, and I, and no one else can get the best wife because I've got her. So I, I kind of am a little bit hesitant to say, oh yes, get married because it's a great thing. Now, Pearl's point, which I think you know, she has a point when she gets to the explanation part, when she stops provoking you. Some of the stuff she says has a point. She says that feminists have ruined marriage. She says a lot of marriages fail. She's put the number at like 50%, but it's been falling steadily. It's now around 40%. And for certain cohorts, it's, it's much lower than that. But she points out that in divorce, men get killed by the courts and by divorce laws. Here's cut seven. Many of these guys get so stressed out, they lose their jobs because... Or they have astronomical court fees, child support, all that shit. You know, and a lot of guys will spend, you know, the average guy makes, what, 50K a year? Guys will spend 100, 150K in court fees just to not get their kids. And the thing is, you can take money from a guy, but there is something about a man who is so desperate to see his child. Like, it is the saddest thing you have ever seen, where... His child will be a mile from him, and he hasn't seen him in two years. 
So her point is that if 40% of marriages fail and then it's this misery because the courts destroy you, why would you even take that chance? Now, I myself have pointed out something else long before there was a Pearl Davis. You know those old T-shirts that they have that says uh, game over, you know, and they'll have a cartoon and they'll show a happy bride and a frowning groom. And the point is that marriage is for women, not men. And when men are caught, they're, you know, there's these are a lot of old 40 songs are about this. Love is the tender trap and you're know, making whoopee. You, know, you, you want to make whoopee, but you wind up washing dishes and baby clothes. And th- there's no reason not to take that complaint seriously. It wouldn't be a meme if it weren't an actual serious thing. Our form of marriage was invented by the Catholic Church to protect women. Feminists who say, oh, it was slavery. No, it was to protect women. And a man sacrifices his deep urge for freedom and sexual variety and sexual adventure and other kinds of adventure so a woman can indulge her deep urge to have children in a protected and supported environment with him supporting her and making sure she is all right. In return for that sacrifice, in the old days, each man received a little kingdom. I received a little kingdom when I got married. I got a family. I was the head of that family. I got respect. I got support for my professional work. And and I was surrounded by a home which I would never have had. I would always have been a drifter if I hadn't fallen in love with the right woman. Pearl is right about this. The feminism has destroyed marriage in the sense that men are expected to sacrifice a freedom that is deeply important to them, not just sexual freedom, but it's the freedom to not know what they're going to be doing next and who they're going to be and not to be responsible to anybody. And they get absolutely nothing in return. And they might wind up with a not very nice wife, but you're basically, the woman is not expected to make a home, not expected to raise your children, not expected to support you in your career and sacrifice some of that so she can have what she wants, which is a family and uh, children, because she's been told she doesn't want that. And she only realizes when it's too late that, yes, she does. I once asked my friend Liz Wheeler on this show, and I love Liz, and Liz is a very, very, very smart woman. I said to this to her, why should a man get married? And she gave a typical... She, conservative response. I put her on the spot, so I'm not trying to be unfair to her. She's like very, very bright. But she said, well, marriage represents Christ's relationship with the church. And I thought, yeah, that's why I got married. I looked at my wife and thought, wow, she really looks like that church and makes me feel like Jesus. You know? <laughs> no, that is nothing. That, that might have happened once. So there might be someone who got married to represent Jesus. It's like a woman women winning a sword fight. It might have happened at some point, but it doesn't happen, you know? I'll tell you something else. You know, there's there's a new book out. Melissa Kearney wrote about it. I talked about it before on the show, The Two-Parent Privilege. 30% of American children are in single-parent homes. That's more than anywhere else on earth. And the results in terms of income, addiction, likelihood of going to prison are all bad. If, you know, I've, I've said this before in research. I've been to a lot of prisons and you walk through cell after cell, past cell after cell, and other people say, well, look, each person is brown. And I think, never mind that. Each person is fatherless. That's the real truth about prisons. You're seeing one fatherless child after another. So Melissa Kearney has written this book, which everybody knows about, right? Everybody knows this is a huge problem, but nobody wants to admit it because she's in a academic environment, which means she's surrounded by liberals. And she has said in interviews that she had to worry about being perceived as socially conservative. Oh no, you might be socially conservative. So she has framed her book in left-wing terms. Here is Kearney talking about it, cut 12. What's happened to Families in the U.S., and in particular, the rise in the share of kids living with one-parent households, how this has primarily happened outside the college-educated class, these trends are really important to what we're seeing with child poverty, inequality, undermining social mobility. And I just got to the point where I felt like we couldn't keep having these conversations about income inequality and threats to social mobility without taking up this issue of family structure, and in particular, the class divergence in family structure head on. See, so she puts it in leftist terms. She says, ooh, class, you know, privilege. The whole name of the book is that, you know, the two-parent privilege. We don't want any privilege going around. This is, uh, you know, I'm glad she's saying this. Uh, Who was it? Jason... Riley, the columnist for the Wall Street Journal, said she she daringly states the obvious, but that's right, because she is talking about something, those three words, those three ugly words that no one in America or the media or anywhere is allowed to say, conservatives are right. Conservatives are right, because we're not just talking about 
two parents for a child. We're talking about the need for fathers. We're talking about the need for mothers to be at home. We're talking about the fact that mothers and fathers, not two men, not two women, not three people, we're talking about the fact that a mother and a father are the best way for children to be reared. We're talking about the fact that conservatives are right. And here is the the whole thing about, about talking about marriage. If we're not going to be honest about it, then, and, it, and it's worthwhile, we can't save it. Because one of the other things I didn't think when I left my wife is, ooh, marrying this woman would be good for society, so I'm going to do that. I didn't think that at all. I didn't even think it would be good for me. I thought it was something I wanted to do. But because no one can say the words that conservatives are right, but no one can say the words that male-female marriage is the pinnacle of human relationship, that is basically what we've got going for us, the center of our society, we have to live in lies. And what happens when you live in lies is there are these invisible brick walls, and you keep bumping into them because nobody can say there's a brick wall. It's the emperor's brick wall, right? If nobody says, you know, don't go that way because you're going to fall off the cliff, You go that way, and then people fall off the cliff, and what happens? Everybody gets angry. And if that's not a description of the society we're in today, where, you know, people like Pearl Davis, and again, she's a provocateur. She says stupid stuff. She said anti-Semitic stuff. I think she hung around with Nick Fuentes for a while. She got some of that poison in her. You know, so she just says things that I, I think get her clicks and all this. But when you clear all that away... She is making a point that the institution of marriage, as it is conceived by the general society, as it's conceived by the media, as it's conceived by the government, as it's conceived by all the people who are doing all the talking, is not something that is necessarily appealing, especially for men. And so the men are sitting around going, why should I do this? And when you tell them, oh, it's because it's Jesus' relationship with the church or it's good for society, you're telling them absolutely nothing. But women also get burned in this because they're getting a message that is perhaps one of the greatest lies in society. And we'll talk about that in Chapter 2, Mom Rage. When running a business, your employees can create all kinds of interesting situations. You should see this place. I mean, it's like a zoo. That's why you better talk to Bambi. Bambi gives you access to your own dedicated HR manager starting at just 99 bucks per month. This person is available to you by phone, email, real-time chat. They'll help you run employee onboarding, terminations, and performance reviews. With Bambi's HR Autopilot feature, you can automate important HR practices like setting policies, employee training, and feedback procedures. All of Bambi's HR managers are based in the U.S. and can support the nuances across all 50 states. HR managers can easily cost $80,000 a year, but Bambi starts at just $99 per month. Schedule your free conversation today to see how much Bambi can take off your plate. Go to Bambi.com right now and type in Andrew Clavin under podcast when you sign up. It'll really help the show. It's spelled B-A-M-B-E-E dot com, Bambi.com. Type in Andrew, K-L-A-V-A-N. Now, the first job of any society, and this is not something that necessarily people set out to do, but it's something that simply happens because people know it has to be done. It's the dispensation of its women. Women are the source of human life, which makes them the most valuable resource any society has. You can't produce more people in the tribe without women. Obviously, you've had no men you would not produce more people either, but you only need one man. You need lots of women because women do the burden of the work of producing human beings. And how they get distributed, how women get distributed among the male population is the first question any society is going to answer. Now, the obvious solution is to give all the best women to the strongest man who can protect them and also Uh, help the gene pool by giving them his strong genes. Simple, logical, improves the gene pool. The man can protect them. And it works great if you want to be a society of gorillas that's constantly at war as the young men who want women for themselves beat up, you know, wait for the most powerful ape to get old and then beat the crap out of them. It also creates an enormous backlog of young, unoccupied men who are going to be violent and basically are going to need to make perennial war. And you see this in a lot of Muslim societies where the rich men get a lot of the women and the men, the uh, less wealthy men don't get any women and they become, you know, violent. They, They have to do something and that's something that takes up their time. So 
If you think there's something worthwhile about humanity, peace, freedom, spiritual equality, those little things, you know, the best dispensation is that a man for each, a woman for each man. And men should have a job or a career that can support a family and give them purpose and fulfillment. And they should find a wife who'll make them a home and mother their children. And women should marry a man of substance and a man of purpose. And that will let her do the work of creating the home and family that is the heart of both individual and social health. And obviously, there are all kinds of ways that that can work itself out. You know, it doesn't mean that that's the only thing women do. It doesn't mean that's the only thing men do. It doesn't mean there's not time for flexibility. A healthy society has flexibility. It's free enough and flexible enough to realize there's some individuals who aren't going to fit directly into these roles, you know. This is, this is always the problem with these big theories is there's always some idiot coming along and saying, well, what about this person? What about that person? And yeah, we need eccentrics and all that stuff. But the, the thing is, the outliers, the outliers are called upon to be heroic because the society needs the structure that is healthiest for it, but the outliers have to struggle to say, you know what, I know I'm being told to go into that structure, but I don't want to. You know, maybe I'm too creative. Maybe I'm uh, too sexually wild and I have to have a million women. Maybe uh, I'm a woman and I just want to focus on my work. Whatever it is, you don't want to be part of that. You're going to have to live a life of struggle so that society can have a general rule that works for the society. That's just too bad. You know, you cannot make the, you cannot remake the society for each eccentric that comes along. And so if you have a society that shovels people into the role that's going to most likely make them most happy, which is the role of supporting a wife and the role of being a wife, the role of supporting a family and the role of producing and nurturing a family, that is probably going to make people healthy, happier and healthier than anything else. There's, yeah, there's going to be outliers. But for most of you, for most of us, that is going to be the, the life that will make you happy when you're young. And as you grow older and you start to have more individual purpose, you start to see more, you start to have context, you're going to have more flexibility because the children are going to grow up. The wife is going to have more time. The man's not going to have to make as much money because, he'll, first of all, he'll probably already be making more money because this is the way men make most money. The, the woman will be freer, free up some of his time. You'll begin to individuate after you've done the work that young people are supposed to do, which is creating more people. What we have done in our society in the name of freedom, and even they've been talking about this since Greek, Greece, ancient Greece, the problem with democracy is that it starts out looking for freedom for the individual and ends up using freedom as the highest value. And that's what's happened to us. We now think that the freedom of each person is more important than a moral, stable society that supports freedom, right? The moral, stable society means you can speak your mind, you can do the kind of work you want to do. You can tell the president to go to hell without him investigating all your properties like they're doing to Elon Musk. You know, that's a free society. But suddenly when the freedom itself becomes a thing, then each individual deviant crazy person has to have a society of his own that doesn't exclude him because if it excludes him, he gets hurt. If it excludes him, his, his little heart is broken, you know? So here's the, here's the thing. Again, I want to repeat this. I didn't get married for the good of society. I didn't get married to, for the good of the society. I was not going to say, oh, yeah, I'm going to curtail my life. I'm going to only have one woman. I'm going to have to make enough money so she can spend, you know, $50,000 on curtains for the State Department like Nikki Haley. Uh, no, she, did, she didn't really do that. But, I, but anyway, I'm not going to get married for the good of society. It's not a good deal for me. It is not a good deal for me as an individual to support society and give, dedicate my life to that and live with a woman in a way I don't want to live with her. Now, on the left, from a woman's point of view, there's now an idea going viral. It's called mom rage. You may not have heard of this because I don't think it's made it too much into conservative circles, but it's moving around the left circles. There was an article in the New York Times, a former newspaper. You won't believe, I, this is an unbelievable story, actually. It's called, the article is called The Rage Mothers Don't Talk About. The subhead is, mothers are supposed to be patient martyrs, so our rage festers beneath our shame. And it's by Minna Dubin. She's a performance artist, uh, a writer. Her career had to be put aside for her to have a child, and she's furious, okay? And I'm just going to read this to you about her and her son, who I believe is, I believe he's only like three. She says, I get furious with my son for all kinds of reasons, for running away from me down the sidewalk for not getting in the car. She gets furious over this, for not letting me brush his teeth, 
for spitting at, hitting, and biting other children at school. I wonder why he's doing that. For ignoring me, for eating only five monochromatic foods. Now listen, this is, now we've all experienced these things with our children. If you have children, you know that this is, these are things children do. But listen to her description of how she feels about this. The rage lives in my hands, rolls down my fingers, clenching to fists. I want to hurt someone. I am tears and fury and violence. I want to scream and rip open pillows, toss chairs and punch walls. I want to see my destruction Feathers floating, overturned furniture, ragged holes in drywall. When I get mad like this around my three-year-old son, I have to say to myself like a mantra, don't touch him, don't touch him, don't touch him. Touching him with this rage coursing through me only ends in my shame and my son's shock. And what else I do not know, only time will reveal that. In other words, what effect will it have that she has treated her son in this abusive way? Now, because this is an angry, unhappy woman and in the New York Times, she, we're supposed to attend to her voice. We're supposed to think, oh, she has a voice. What can society do to solve the problem of this woman's shame? It's our problem. We did it. And she says this, and she says this in her writing. I think she's written a book called Mom Rage. She says, we, one thing, we have to take the shame out of mothering. That's always the answer. Stop making me feel bad about bad things I'm doing. L- let me tell you something. I think this is an abusive, troubled woman, right, who needs psychiatric help. I don't think the society needs to change for her. I think she needs to get help and stop being this way towards her son because she's doing untold damage to her son. And by the way, your children know exactly what you're thinking. I, you know, I'm sure if you're parents, I'm not telling you anything you don't know. But if you haven't had a, had a kid yet, they read your mind. And if they play every note of the piano in your soul, if you have rage, they're going to get to the rage. If you have Tears are going to make you cry. They're going to do every. They play the whole piano of your soul, little children. And if, if you're not stable in some sense, that instability is going to come out. And if you're that angry, if you're angry as angry as this woman is, then you are going to be doing damage to your child because he will know that when he does the normal things ch- children do, not brush their teeth, eat monochromatic foods, all that stuff, that you are furious. So we mustn't talk about the fact that this is her fault, her problem, something that need, that she needs to do, that it's not our fault. It's not a, a, you know, that she should be feeling shame. She should feel shame because she's doing something that is not right. But we also can't talk about who she is. Minna Dubin, because they write this entire article and you would never know this. She is a, le- she, she's not She's not secretive about it, just so I'm clear. She's not secretive about it. But in the article in the Times, I don't think they ever mention it. She is a lesbian married to a man, and she sees motherhood not as a fulfilling personal responsibility or moment of personal growth or goal to create something that is bigger than yourself that you can care about and leave behind you when you go. None of that. It's a political event. Here she is talking about it. Cut 11. There's so much power in motherhood. You know, I think motherhood is potentially a very beautiful, and I think it's life-changing for every person who becomes a mother. Um, and we have the power as mothers to uh, to teach our children and to change to change the course of things, like one child at a time. Like we have so much influence, and I think we also have the potential, if we do it right, to change especially if we're married to men, um, to change our spouses and to change the course of patriarchy, you know, one kid at a time, basically, depending on how we show up uh, gender roles wise in our home. So she's showing up gender wise as this enraged, clenched fist, furious person who can't deal with the fact of her child. She writes about this. She says, she blames the capitalist patriarchy, she said. It, she says it props up the ideology of what she calls capital M motherhood, which, quote, tells mothers we must throw ourselves full throttle into our mothering job. Here's her description. Researching, planning, contacting, scheduling, overseeing, washing, tidying, folding, driving, thanking, inviting, hosting, cooking, preparing, and sharing. Oh, the misery, the misery, the horror, the horror. It's actually a pretty good description of motherhood if you leave out the fact that those are all acts of love, you know, the laughter, tears, joys, grief that make not mothering but parenting fatherhood too the most humanizing and fulfilling thing you, you will ever do. It, you will never live until you are a parent, seriously. You know, Ben talks about this, and I've said almost the same words myself, that, you know, you go from seeing, he says you go from a a 
an emotional life between six and eight to emotional life from one to 22. What I always say is like having a scrim on a stage pulled up and suddenly you see, oh, I was living in one dimension. Now suddenly I'm living in three dimensions. But the problem for Minna Dubin is that Minna Dubin's son is obviously not about her son. Her son is about herself and her vision for the world. This is true of parents who want their children to go into a certain business or live a certain life or have a certain set of values that reflect their values instead of Moral values, you want your kid to have moral values, but moral values can look different in different people. You have to let your child be yourself. He's a gift that you were given that you are meant to guide into adulthood so that he can become his or her self in a moral context. The reason she's enraged is that he's a different person. He's a different person, and she does not know what love is. She cannot stand the fact that he's a little boy, and he's going to do little boy things, and she ain't doing Jack diddly squat about the patriarchy. Whatever the patriarchy is, it is going to be here forever if what she means by the patriarchy is men acting like men and women acting like women. I think this is true, by the way, in a lot of marriages. I mean, the opposite sex, what what the qualities of femininity can do for a man and what the qualities of masculinity can do for a woman are parts of ourselves that are missing. They are meant to be missing. They are meant to be fulfilled, not by getting our bodies butchered so we can look like something we're not. They are meant to be fulfilled by another person who has those qualities and gives them to you and extends them to you and you become one flesh. I can't give myself the female love that my soul needs. Only my wife can do this and it takes a lifetime to do it and it takes hard work. You know, they always call it hard work. I wouldn't call it hard work. I would call it soul work. It takes soul work. It takes adjusting yourself, being true about when you failed, adjusting your failures, making yourself better at loving. That is what you're trying to do. You're not just trying to be loved. You're trying to become loving, something I think this woman has failed on at every level, just from her own writing. And if we don't talk about that, if we don't talk about love, we're not talking about marriage at all. And that's my problem with this conservative talk, this high-tone talk about God tells us to be fruitful and, you know, we have to be Jesus with the church and it's good for society. The first thing we have to do is love. It just is. And the reason we don't think about this is because we are living in a materialist society. And that is the way that we're failing our young people more than any other way, by not teaching them that these spiritual values exist. Marriage is not ultimately about anything but about two people loving one another and in that love becoming one flesh. And yes, that love includes the erotic. I think the erotic sets it off a lot of times. I wouldn't want to marry somebody that I wasn't attracted to, that didn't appeal to me physically. But it goes so far beyond that. And I think that that is the thing that you don't get to any other way. And each person has to sacrifice part of himself to get the part of himself he needs in order to become loving. And that, yes, does that mean women put their careers aside for a while to build a home, to build a family, to nurture children? I think it should. I think that's exactly what they should do. And I think they will be happier doing it. And does it mean that sometimes a guy has got to make sacrifice? I, look, I see this all the time. I've done it myself. Every father has. If he's a, any you know, kind of a father at all, any kind of a spouse at all. You do things you don't necessarily want to do. You can't stay pure all the time to make sure that your kids have a loaf of bread. You just do it. You do it. And you don't complain about it. And nobody says to you, hey, you know what? This is this is better than starving. Nobody says to dad, you know, this is I, I like this loaf of bread better than lying on the street with my ribs sticking out and flies on my eyes. You, you know, you're not going to get that, but you're going to do it. And it's going to make you better. And that's and that's hard. And you shouldn't do it if you don't love. If You shouldn't do it if you don't want to love. You shouldn't do it if you don't think love is worthwhile. And by the way, by the way, people who see life this way have better marriages. And this is the big flaw in Pearl's logic, because she keeps saying 40%, 40%, but it's not 40% for everybody. It's not 40% if you're a conservative. It's not 40% if you're a virgin when you get married. It's not 40% for the people who are religious, for the people who uh, commit to their marriages with all their hearts and souls. These are the people who have happy marriages. These are the people who have uh, not divorce rates down around 25% instead of 40%. These are the people who really have, because conservatives are right and nobody's allowed to say it and nobody wants to say, uh, commit themselves to the sacrifices that conservatives are selling. But we do have to sell that because if you don't tell the truth, you're not telling anything. 
You know, if you don't tell people that it's hard to be married in the sense that you are sacrificing part of yourself, that maybe, you know, you're a girl who wanted to be Taylor Swift, but instead you're going to be a mom. Yeah, you know, that's a dream you sacrifice. Maybe you wanted to be James Bond, but instead you're only going to have one wife. That's a dream that you sacrifice. Is it a realistic dream? Probably not. But still, and is it a worthwhile dream? Probably not. But still, your dreams cost you when you give them up. We all have to do it. And it's it's tough to do. But you have to say that, yes, it's the love that that's worth it. And by the way, by the way, after you commit to that love, society will get better. You will learn that marriage is, in fact, the model of Christ's relationship to the church. That will happen to you. But before you do that, you have to learn that the physical facts of life, from making love to all these things that this woman said, researching, planning, contacting, scheduling, overseeing, washing, tidying, folding, driving, thanking, inviting, hosting, cooking, preparing, and sharing— Working, supporting, showing up for baseball games when you don't want to, when you'd rather be at home watching a baseball game, fidelity. You know, these are physical acts that speak love into the world and transform you into someone who can give love. A healthy society begins here. The symbol of Christ's church is lived out here. But an individual has to be married because he can, believes that he's in love and he believes in love. He believes that this is a spiritual thing that can be done by physical means. And a society that fails to teach us this because it's sick with materialism has failed us. And conservatives who don't talk honestly about the trials of what you're doing and the reason that you, you want to do it, And the fact that you might not want to do it, you might not be a loving person, you might not be a person who thinks love is the answer to life, which, you know, as I've said, all your joy comes from love. All your joy will come from love in this life. But you might not care. It might not mean anything to you. Then you shouldn't get married. Then you shouldn't get married if you don't believe in love. I've told you before, everybody here at The Daily Wire is a fan of GenuCell here at The Andrew Clavin Show. We love it. Don't just take my word for it. Ella from Rockford says, I have both age and acne spots, and this stuff is actually fading both of them. This serum is worth every penny. Ella is raving about the famous dark spot corrector from Genucel, a must-have after months of record heat and humidity. Sunspots, brown spots, discoloration, even red inflamed patches all disappear in front of your very eyes. Here is the Genucel amazing guarantee. You will see results on day one or your money back. So take advantage of GenuCell's most popular package, which now includes the Dark Spot Corrector, plus the classic GenuCell Immediate Effects Cream, plus the under-eye treatment for bags and puffiness. You can get all this right now at about 70% off so that you can try the best skincare in the world completely risk-free. It's simple. Go to GenuCell.com slash Clavin. Start looking years, even decades younger tomorrow. Say goodbye to dark spots and liver spots, crow's feet and puffiness under the eyes. Go to GenuCell.com slash Clavin. That's GenuCell.com slash, let's hear it. How do you spell it? Give it to me. K-L-A-V-A-N. Chapter three, unwise Latina. So I'm going to keep this short, but I got to talk about this debate, this Republican debate, the second Republican debate. And the the reason I want to talk about it in this context is it shows something similar to the the discussion about marriage. I've used the C.S. Lewis quote a lot. It's one of my favorite quotes is on his little book about uh, Milton's Paradise Lost, a wonderful book. And he says, the first qualification for judging any piece of workmanship from a corkscrew to a cathedral is to know what it is, what it was intended to do, and how it is meant to be used. And this is what I mean about marriage. If you don't know that marriage is about love and you're going into it because you think it's about something that it's not or or something so highfalutin that you won't reach it in the first 20 years of your marriage, then it's not going to be good. You have to know what marriage is for and what it's good for and what it's used for. And the same thing is true about politics. And this is another way in which the authorities in our society, and you might learn more about this if you read The House of Love and Death, but the authorities in our society have failed us terribly in teaching us what politics is about, what it is there for. And they've done it for a very, very uh, specific and suspicious reason. This debate didn't change anything. Maybe this would be a little click. I I thought that Ron DeSantis did much better this time. I I picked on him about the last one, but I thought he did much better this time. He kept out of the fray, kept out of some of the screaming matches, and uh, just stated his case, you know, very, very diligently. And, you know, he wasn't wasn't very showy. He wasn't very charismatic, but I think he would be a leader in the debate. And I thought Nikki Haley did pretty well. You know, I think that uh, she was, you know, she was clear about where she was. I, I thought the guy who did the worst 
uh, was Tim Scott. Uh, he had this exchange with Nikki Haley, cut one. Nikki offered a 10 percent, 10 cent gas tax increase in South Carolina. Talk about someone who has never seen a federal dollar she doesn't like. 10 cents on this gallon in South Carolina as the U.N. ambassador. You literally Bring it, put $50,000 on <laughs> curtains in a $15 million subsidized location. Next. You got bad information. First of all, I fought the gas tax in South Carolina multiple times against the just establishment. Go to you, just go to YouTube. Against the establishment. You, just go to and YouTube you want to know what that 10 cent yep. was? Right. Secondly, exactly, secondly, on the 50 here's, million. Here is a nice part. Secondly, on the uh, curtains, do your yes. homework, Tim, because Obama bought those curtains. Did you send them back? It's in the press. Did you send them back? It's the State Department. <laughs> now. Obviously, when Tim Scott gets home, his girlfriend is going to call from Canada and complain that he was rude to a lady. I was just cruel. Why did you play that? I'm ashamed of you. All right. Uh, now, look, obviously, women should not be allowed to vote or run for office, but. I have to say that at this point, I'm almost prepared for a little less testosterone in our politics. I mean, Donald Trump is over on Truth Social saying that General Milley would would have been put to death in a better age. You know, what was he saying? He's going to investigate uh, NBC when he becomes president. Uh, You know, so maybe a girl spending 50 grand on curtains. But the reason I thought Tim's would be, you know, at least at least the Republic is going to fall. We could have nice curtains. But, But the thing is. Tim Scott knows that Obama did, in fact, order those curtains, and she just didn't get in the way of them. He, he knows that. He, he went after Ron DeSantis for that thing in the uh, education program in Florida where it said many slaves learned, some slaves learned skills that they could use in other life, which was a tribute, a black historian writing about a tribute to the human spirit under terrible conditions. You, you know, he knows that, and he's picking on conservatives from a left-wing talking point position. And I think that's going to hurt him. He had no chance to begin with. Now I think he has zero chance altogether. Ron DeSantis looked all right when he said stuff like this is cut five. The people in Washington are shutting down the American dream with their reckless behavior. They borrowed, they printed, they spent, and now you're paying more for everything. They are the reason for that. They have shut down our national sovereignty by allowing our border to be wide open. So please spare me uh, the crocodile tears for these people. They need to change what's going on. And where's Joe Biden? He's completely missing in action from leadership. And you know who else is missing in action? Donald Trump is missing in action. He should be on this stage tonight. He owes it to you to defend his record where they added $7.8 trillion to the debt. Okay, so now, you know, I can criticize, the, you know, DeSantis is not Mr. Personality, but he's done such a good job in Florida, doing such a good job in Florida that I think that should speak for him. Why is this not going to change anything? And why is Donald Trump still, you know, 100 points ahead? It's because people have sold us The news business has become show business. It wasn't always. It has become show business. This happened during the course of my lifetime. It happened over the 70s and 80s, 1970s and 1980s. It's become show business. And so they want politics to be show business. Now, no one is going to deny there's a showbiz aspect to politics. But the problem with going to the lowest common denominator is you drag everything down. This happens in Hollywood. They make an entertaining movie like The Matrix and they want to do a sequel. And they think, what did people love about The Matrix? They love slow motion action scenes. Well, no, they love slow motion action scenes in the context of a great idea. So the second Matrix is garbage, full of slow motion action scenes, but with no good ideas. Eight people on stage is crap. It's no way to have a debate. All you can do with eight people on stage is scream at one another and have embarrassing, scripted, theoretical breakout moments. I'm trying to elect a guy who will run the free world. I don't care about his breakout moments. I do not care about his clever little turns of phrase. I want to hear what he has to say, and I want to hear him defend what he has to say in an orderly way from the guy next to him. You can do that 
with two people, really it should only be two people, you can do it with three or four, that's it. So they're purposely setting this up to be a free-for-all, and that's what it was, people shouting and, and interrupting each other and delivering these stupid, you know, we're going to call you Donald Duck because you ducked out of this Chris Christie because you ducked out of the debate. You know, who cares? Who cares? And another thing we don't care about, and this is part of the showbiz, is the moderators, these, these people uh, who come in and give their own points of view and guide the debate. Who needs them? This woman, Ilya Calderon from uh, the leftist TV, uh, you know, Hispanic TV show, TV network Univision, she asks this thing about Ron DeSantis's education thing, about that line about uh, slaves learning skills that could help them in free life. And here's what she says. Florida's new black history curriculum says, quote, slaves develop skills which in some instances could be applied for their personal benefit. You have said slaves develop skills in spite of slavery, not because of it. But many are still hurt. Who cares what this, she isn't journalist enough to track down what this really said. She's just going to use a left-wing talking point to hit him. And yeah, he, 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 you know, said what he had to say. He said it was a hoax and all that stuff. He wasn't that clear about it, but he was pretty good about it. But but who? Can, why is she there? Why is she there? Dana Perino, who I love, she's a, a an absolute charming person. She's a lovely, lovely person. She asked who should be voted off the island. It's like, I thought, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? This is the guy who's going to have the nuclear button under his thumb. This is the guy who has to fix the absolute garbage that Joe Biden has done to this country. And that's... They can't beat Trump because they've we we have allowed the audience has allowed them to turn politics completely into show business, and Trump is good at show business. Trump is from show business. Trump is a showbiz guy. He knows show business better than all of these. You put all those eight people together, they don't know show business as well as he does. But the problem is, is that show business is about appearance. It's about image. It's about emotion. It is not about the things that we should be making decisions about. It's the same thing. Sex is part of marriage. You know, uh, obviously children are part of marriage, sacrifice part of marriage, but that's not what marriage is really about. And the same thing is true with politics. Yes, show business and clever lines and breakout moments, those are part of politics. We can't be purist because the world isn't pure, but why should sick, neurotic people, namely the sexual deviants for marriage and show business people on the other, why should they determine who runs our society, how, what values our society has? Why is that happening to us? Why do we let the worst people in the country, the sickest people in the country, the most damaged people in the country define what the country should be. People go into show business because they have a hole in their souls. They have to fill with your attention. That's why they're there. And they want to turn all of politics into that. And because of that, they wound up with Donald Trump, king of politics. They're going, why did you elect him? We elected him because you taught us. We let you teach us that politics is show business. We are really have been abandoned by the people who are taxed, tasked with the job of teaching the young and giving us the values we need to have a free society and a healthy society. And because of that, our society is sick. What are we? What are you? What are I? What am I going to do about it? I'd like to give a shout out to all those people whose job it is to hire. You're clearly doing a better job than we are here. Small business owners growing their team to the HR directors hiring hundreds across the nation. I know you have a tough job because look at us. Look what's happening. With ZipRecruiter, you can make your hiring process faster and easier. ZipRecruiter's powerful technology works for you to identify people whose skills and experience match your job. ZipRecruiter saves you time by letting you easily invite your top candidates to apply to your job so they're more likely to apply sooner. ZipRecruiter is trusted by millions. In fact, over 3.8 million businesses have come to ZipRecruiter for their hiring needs. Hiring heroes, let ZipRecruiter help make your job easier. Four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Go to ZipRecruiter.com slash Clavin to try ZipRecruiter for free. Again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash Clavin. And you may say to yourself, hmm, hmm, how do I spell Clavin? Well, there are no E's. That's a clue. It's K-L-A-V-A-N. There are no All right, final chapter, silence and the art of stupidity. 
So on, I want to talk about something that I did on Member Block, because I know some of you, for some reason, inexcusably are not members. And I ended the show last week in Member Block talking about my two favorite stories of last week. And one of them was about uh, Jens Hanning. He's a, a Dutch artist. A museum paid him about $70,000 to do a work about Danish income. And he turned in two blank canvases with the title, Take the Money and Run. <laughs> run. So he took their money and gave them two blank canvases. And they hung them in the exhibit. And then they sued him because they wanted the 70000 bucks back, and a court said he had to pay it back. And I thought, well, if he has to pay it back, then Marcel Duchamp has to pay it back when he put a urinal on a museum wall. And Jackson, the Jackson Pollock estate has to pay back all their money for all that splattered paint that Jackson Pollock used to have. And Picasso for hanging you know, bicycle handlebars and calling them a, a bull's head. All these con men owe us millions. Who thought that was art? Picasso himself once pointed out he was a con man. A friend of mine sent me this quote, and I checked it down. It is a real quote. Picasso said, I am famous. I am rich. But when I am alone with myself, I haven't the courage to consider myself an artist in the ancient sense of the word. I'm only a public entertainer who has understood the times and has exploited as best he could the imbecility, the vanity, and the greed of his contemporaries. But if I were to say that in... Picasso's heyday, I would have been called a Philistine and I would have been thrown out of good society. I would have been a conservative. And the one thing we must not say is that conservatives are right. Tom Wolfe wrote a book about it, uh, The Painted Word. Excellent, excellent little book worth reading. But you weren't supposed to say that. And people pay millions of dollars for what is essentially splatter paint garbage, okay? Because art has moved on to video games and things like that where it expresses human uh, interest and striving. The other story that cracked me up was Ibram X. Kendi, who, see, the, guy, the guy is a nitwit. He's a nitwit. He is a low intelligence human being, but he received a genius grant because in that genius grant, the word genius stands for nitwit. He's <laughs> nitwit, but he had this brilliant idea of anti-racism that we were going to solve racism by being racist. And he, that's what he did. So of course, Boston University appointed him to head the center for anti-racist research, and it raised nearly $55 million, had an endowment of $30 million with an additional $17.5 million held in reserve, produced no research, had to fire everybody that they complained about the way they were treated. In today's Wall Street Journal, an associate professor of theology and ethics at Boston University, David DeCosmo, described what was going on at the university after George Floyd died of a fentanyl overdose while trying to resist arrest, which was a terrible racist thing. But David DeCosmo wrote, the School of Theater passed, it went th throughout the university, the School of Theater passed a plan to audit all syllabi, courses, and policies to ensure conformity with anti-oppression and anti, with an anti-oppression and anti-racist lens, and they discussed placing monitors in each class to report violations of Kendi's anti-racist ideology. The sociology department publicly announced that white supremacy and racism were pervasive and woven into our own department. In the English department, playwriting program, all syllabi would have to assign 50% diverse identifying and marginalized writers and any material or scholarship from a white or Eurocentric lineage could be taught only through an actively anti-racist lens. Anyone who objected to this, he says, was accused of racism and su suffered possible serious career damage because, because these are stupid ideas. The idea that a urinal is a work of art, that people can paint with their hands the Sistine Chapel, the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel, and it's art to put a urinal on the wall. That's a bad idea. Anybody who can think would look at that and say, that's stupid. Plenty of people say, that's stupid. But because nobody can ever say conservatives are right, you're not allowed to say, you know what? That is stupid. Who would pay for that? Who would go to see it? Who wants to see it? And they thrive. These bad ideas thrive on silence. And you could solve racism with racism. What kind of a nitwit thinks of something like that? And an entire university, and not just Boston University, plenty of universities, oh, good idea, Ibn. That's what we do now. We will say, you know, what the hell? What the hell? It's incredible. It is incredible. But the stupidity thrives on silence. And we can't fight them. We cannot fight them unless we argue with them. If we don't have the courage to speak, and you can't speak if you don't know what to say, and you don't know what to say if you're not honest with yourself first, which is tough because it involves saying you're wrong, saying you're being emotional, saying you're greedy and lustful, and all the other things, saying your, your anger has gotten in the way of your good sense. 
all of those things are probably true of all of us at some point, right? But you've got to face them and change in order to have the truth so you can speak the truth first to your children, then to your neighbors, then to everybody all the time. Because if you don't, these bad ideas take root. And if you're not willing to be called names, you get a sick, deviant society run by sick, deviant people, which is exactly what we have now. Because the things they're saying, a man can become a woman. Give me a break. Give me a freaking break. I put on a dress and I wear pearls and suddenly I'm a girl. And now we should cut up children. It's it's insane on the face of it. A urinal on a wall, splatter on a canvas, that's art. Give me a break. Listen, I'm all for innovation. I'm for revolutionary innovation. I want to see more VR art. I want to see more, uh, you know, video art, all kinds of art. But that's not art. And anybody can see it. Anybody who can knows the truth, who faces the truth, can see these things are stupid, but you got to say it. And you can't say it if you're not honest with yourself and honest with the people around you and then honest with the world and then the world. Caesars Sportsbook is the only sportsbook app with Caesars Rewards. That means win or lose, every bet brings you closer to the types of perks only Caesars can offer. Like hotel stays at over 50 iconic destinations, bonus bets, daily profit boosts, tickets to the game, dining, and so much more. Whether you're a new or existing customer, Caesars Sportsbook is always rewarding. Must be 21. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Caesars Sportsbook. Don't just spectate, participate. Starts to change. Everyone is talking about convicting a murderer, how it has completely blown up making a murderer's narrative about Stephen Avery being falsely convicted for the murder of Teresa Halbach. There are already so many people from around the country commenting about how they've changed their minds about Stephen Avery after watching Convicting a Murderer. It's amazing what happens when you give people all of the information instead of cherry-picking the facts to fit a narrative. This week's episode is all about how making a murderer left so many viewers convinced that the Manitowoc police orchestrated a plot to frame Stephen Avery for the murder of Teresa Halbach by planting the key to Halbeck's car inside Avery's trailer. Candace is going to show you what actually happened in this week's episode. Take a look. Coming up on Convicting a Murderer. The key was the biggest piece of evidence that viewers to this day believe was planted. It was a story that was really tailor-made for Hollywood. He was on TV constantly saying, it's Manitowoc County, they're framing me. It's gotta be a setup. Because if I didn't do it, they had a plan to stop. It seemed like almost everyone believes these filmmakers. What do we want? Justice! What do we want now? His body language comes across as very suspicious. It looked like he was caught. And that is exactly what the filmmakers led you to believe. Why are you editing my courtroom testimony? You should be still faithful to the facts. I started to realize more and more that this was an entertainment piece. This wasn't a piece of journalism like I thought it was going to be. New episodes of Convicting a Murder are released every Thursday exclusively on Daily Wire Plus. If you're not a member, head over to dailywire.com slash subscribe to sign up for access to this groundbreaking series and the rest of Daily Wire's content. Caesars Sportsbook is the only sportsbook app with Caesars rewards. That means win or lose, every bet brings you closer to the types of perks only Caesars can offer. Like hotel stays at over 50 iconic destinations, bonus bets, daily profit boosts, tickets to the game, dining, and so much more. Whether you're a new or existing customer, Caesars Sportsbook is always rewarding. Must be 21. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Caesars Sportsbook. Don't just spectate, participate. Clavin Clapbacks. Can't you save us, Britney Spears? Can we be saved? God, why is Satan controlling the universe? Yeah! <laughs> Answer, yes. Not the universe, but yes. Um, Clavin Clapbacks. Both are spelled with a K, both Clavin and Clapbacks. We spell with a K, Clapbacks at dailywire.com. Write in. Like I said at the beginning of the show, I love to hear from you. I'd rather hear from you than hear from me because I know what I think already. You can disagree. You can be right and agree. Or you can just make some other comment or ask a question. We love to hear from you. 
today from Charles Hillier. In keeping with your spirit of promoting morally disgusting comments, I ask the following question. Is racism all that bad? My best friend was racist against blacks. Had he committed rape, molested children, murder? I'd rather befriend the worst racist than anyone who would even consider transing a child. I know you have to constantly denounce racism. Fair enough. But is it really more deserving of condemnation than other sins? Well, first, just to answer that, I wish people wouldn't say stuff like that. I don't have to say anything. There's nothing I have to say. There's some things I might believe that I won't say, like that women shouldn't have the right to vote because that would be, you know, disgusting and it would hurt the brand and people would be upset because it was so radical and people at Media Matters would get so excited. I, I don't like to get them overexcited because I'm afraid they'll fall over and die. But, but everything I say, I believe, and I say it because I believe it and I don't have to say it. There's nothing I have to say. I mean, of course, racism is not the worst sin. And I, too, have very, very good friends who are absolutely racist. We've argued about it. We've discussed it. But, you know, it's just part of what they believe. Butchering a child on an academic gender theory with no science behind it is far, far worse than harboring racist feelings. And on top of which, you can harbor racist feelings and not act on them and still be a moral person in the world. My point about racism is only one thing. It is a sin against the image of God. It's a sin. I've never said it's a crime. I said it's a sin. And and sin has an effect on your soul. It does bad things to your soul. It makes you stupid. For instance, when people say, oh, blacks commit all these crimes. You know, in, in Britain for many years, the underclass was white. It was entirely white. And they did exactly the same things that black do, blacks do in our community. And the way blacks have been treated has created an underclass. And underclasses act in certain ways. And it makes you stupid to hate the image of God because it happens to be brown in this case and to have whatever genetic makeup it has. It makes you small. It degrades you. Sins do this to you. It constricts your ability to love, uh, which is tied closely to your telos, to your purpose in life. And that's why I'm against it. And that's why I say I'm against it. And it has nothing to do with what genetic truth is. I have no idea what the genetic truth is. I suspect genetics is a little too closed-minded for reality, but still, you know, I, and, and you're right. It's not the, the greatest sin, but it is a sin, and it's a sin against the image of God, and it hurts you. Uh, from Igor DeMarco says, I'm very surprised by your quick acceptance of the accusations made to Russell Brand. I'm not at all a fan of Brand. I disagree with his lifestyle, but I believe you should be a bit more careful before destroying somebody's life based on allegations that are purposely misleading, impossible to falsify, and published by a journal of dubious reputation. First, I remind you, I remind you that Russell Brand dissed One Miss Call, my beautiful movie, so I don't care what happens to him. And I didn't convict him. I just thought that the evidence was m- much more strong than it was with uh, Kavanaugh or Clarence Thomas, where the evidence was nil, I thought the fact that a woman had said to him in a text, no means no, and he had said, yes, I'm sorry, I thought that that was uh, stronger than before. And by his own admission, he has done terrible things. And so I, I feel less bad about believing some of these things. But still, I believe they were brought to bear because of his opinions, not because of his actions. Uh, Dan Baer says, most of the time when people say someone is a shill, they're not saying they're literally getting paid. Answer this, would Michael Knowles say anything different if he were literally getting paid by Trump to say it? If the answer is no, why should I care that he isn't literally being paid? If I don't like his opinion, that's a pretty weak reason. My, my, pro- my problem is that I said, by the way, that I was making up a conspiracy theory about how you were all working for DeSantis. I understand that you were organized but not working for DeSantis. Uh, but but still, I, and I don't want to defend Knowles because <laughs> look, look at him. The guy's de- deplorable. But why can't you just say you disagree? He, he's being honest. A shill is a dishonest person. A shill is a fake. But Knowles is saying what he believes. And of, of course, what he believes is ridiculous. Look at him. Look at the guy. It's ridiculous. You know, nobody's expected you to believe Michael Knowles. That would be insane. But calling him a shill is actually, un- when you have stooped so low that you're unfair to Michael Knowles, you have to correct yourself. The guy is giving you his honest opinion, uh, and he just happens to be Michael Knowles. So, you know, what are you going to do? I got to stop there. Unless you're a member, become a member today. Go to dailywire.com slash subscribe and use code Claven at checkout for two months free on all annual plans. Plus, you get the pleasure of supporting us in the work we do. And you get member block. If you are a member, come on over. Caesars Sportsbook is the only sportsbook app with Caesars rewards. That means win or lose, every bet brings you closer to the types of perks only Caesars can offer. Like hotel stays at over 50 iconic destinations, bonus bets, daily profit boosts, tickets to the game, dining, and so much more. Whether you're a new or existing customer, Caesars Sportsbook is always rewarding. Must be 21. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Caesars Sportsbook. Don't just spectate, participate.